Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 539. I'm losing count here. So many episode listeners and viewers, um, and the pandemic, the week just flies by. I've got a really great panel this week. Actually, most of them turned up and we got a special guest, a, a truly special guest that arrived at the last minute. It's like the ghost of New Year's Eve or something. You know, I don't know. Um, I'm going to let him, I'm not going to pronounce his, I'm going to let him pronounce his surname because I'm going to butcher it. So it's old Matthew. Matthew, would you like to quickly introduce yourself quickly to the listeners and viewers? Sure. Uh, my name is Matthew Renzi. I am a data science consultant with a focus on artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I've taught over 300,000 software developers and IT professionals how to uh, build intelligent software over the past uh, 20 plus years of my career. Now, if you could just teach the software to build intelligent developers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you must have read my mind there. I'm just about to come out with something like that, but old Sally jumps in. Because you jumped in, Sally, you might as well introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers. I'm Sally Getch. I'm here to add Y chromosomes and snark. <laughs> X, X chromosomes and snark. All right, there we go. Well, at least you know your place. Uh, um, got another great panelist. He's been away for a couple of weeks, but I'm letting him off because his wife's just about to have a, a child. Well, they are. Oh. Yeah. One, yes. Well, you don't know. It could be twin. Well, no, you know, don't you? Uh, um, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, would you like to quickly introduce yourself, Vito? Yes, uh, my name is Vito. I'm the founder of uh, WP Feedback, which is a project delivery system for uh, uh, WordPress uh, designers and developers that work with clients. That's great. And I've got my friend, John Locke. John, would you like to introduce yourself? John Locke from Lockdown Design and STO. That's great. And I've got my friend, Stephen. Stephen, would you like to introduce? Oh, you're looking very smart and relaxed there, actually, Stephen. Yeah, I'm on the road today, so uh, apologies for any background noise, if there's any. Uh, oh, Stephen right. Souter from zipfish.io. Uh, we make WordPress fast by optimizing the front-end code and the servers. Looks like um, a comfy seat there, Stephen. I'm trying to think. Are you in a, like a Dr. Yeah. Evil seat? What, yeah, yeah. what, what kind of seat? Yeah, it, even, it even spins. Look at that. Oh, oh my. Awesome. He can That's speed. Ideal. He's you going are, up in the world. Yes. He can speed there. You have to go. A very large wing chair. Yes, uh, stroking the cat below the camera, right? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I got my, um, got my friend Spencer Forum. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. Rightio. Um, oh, God, <laughs> it started. Um, um, and if you want to see all the balls ups, all the mania before the show, you should join us live on Facebook. We push the show live uh, just before 8.30 Pacific time on the WP Tomic Facebook page. And like I say, you can see all the unedited bits um, that should be a joyous experience, to say the least. So let's go straight in. Oh, well, no. Um, before that, I almost forgot the most important thing to do is talk about my great sponsors. And I'd like to start off with Kinsta. Kinsta 
um, is a WordPress hosting provider, a premier one. Um, they've been sponsoring the show for a couple of years now. They're a great partner of the show. Now, if you're looking for great performance WordPress-specific hosting, go to Kinster for your WooCommerce site, for your learning management system, anything that needs real performance and you need great support, either for yourself or for your clients. Um, they've got the, they use Google Clouds. They provide great support, great interface, all the um, technology bells and whistles. So if that sounds interesting, go over to Kinster. And the main thing is tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic show. That's really helpful. So let's go into the first story. Um, WordPress 5.0 release team pulls the plug in block-based widgets. Um, what do you reckon about this one, Sally? Um, well, it's uh, interesting that this uh, that this came up just exactly as somebody in the Genesis Slack was complaining about how awful uh, the block-based widgets were. Uh, I believe her exact phrase was, "You have to scroll from here to Cleveland. I mean, from Cleveland to California to get to get to." Any of the widgets in the uh, you know in the new widget screen because they're all in that little Gutenberg sidebar, and um, so I, I know somebody that wrote a little plugin to help that. Uh, yes, I haven't I haven't had an opportunity to uh, uh, to test that. I downloaded it right away. Uh, I I want you to know it's officially in the repository. I never thought those words would come out of my mouth. Uh, they asked me what to call it. I called it Otto's Baby. I was wondering you going to say it was up somewhere else. <laughs> if, you, if you search repository for Otto's Baby, you will find my Gutenberg style fixer plugin. It is officially in there. What's your review count on it? <laughs> what? What's your, what's your view count on it? Your review. Your review count. Do you got any stars I, yet? I have zero reviews and hope. Oh, we have to fix reviews. that. Feel free. The panel, the panel, you all have to go over. Leave me a, a negative one if you wish. That would be all right. Yes. Well, we, well, that would mean all the, all the reviews, right? This I'm is just going to leave a I hate Gutenberg everything review like so many people do on Rando Block editors. <laughs> <laughs> I hate change. What is this Gutenberg right. thing? So, uh, yes, it... it, it uh, uh, it sounds like this was probably a good decision, and and the argument um, uh, basically is, uh, <clears throat> you know, Helen is quoted as saying in this article was, you know, if we're going to introduce a new feature, it need you need to like be able to try it without worrying you're going to break your whole site, and <clears throat> that was uh, well, that would be handy, wouldn't it? Yeah, just like possibly. So, um, although this is like the second coming feature that they've pulled from 5.6 so that you're starting to wonder what's actually going to be in it. Uh, oh, he's put, it, he's put the link. Is this the link? Oh, yeah, it's a link to WordPress. We can give a review as we're chatting. Off you go, panel. Go into chat and leave a, re, a snarly, a normal <laughs> snarly WordPress review for Spencer. Uh, um, there, oh, I think I'll put it. I'll actually put the link. I, I think the description is Facebook, hilarious. Actually. I, I have a I have a funny uh, I'll have a funny story when it's my time. I'll tell you what they what they said to me about when I submitted this because it shows what's wrong with the mind boggles. Process. Actually, sorry, Sandy. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think it's probably the right decision. Uh, you know, not to ship it un until it's actually functional. Uh, <clears throat> but it is uh, kind kind of unfortunate. Um, Will that be the end of next year then? 
Uh, well, we'll see, right? Um, you know, uh, Gutenberg is happening in the iterative imperfect. Uh, emphasis on the iterative. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see what we end up with. I do think it's come a long way uh, mm. since the beginning, but it does still have a ways to go. Right, yeah. So, Spencer, what did you think of this article? Uh, well, what's interesting is because of, uh, I think, Sally's influence, I decided to dedicate this to her, that um, when it comes to the primary plugin that I offer, which is LaunchFlows, I decided that I'm going to jump in and adopt to the reality that a lot of people might use a classic editor, might use the Gutenberg, might use another editor, blah, 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 blah. So in the process of making LaunchFlows really truly cross page builder compatible, I actually turned on Gutenberg. <laughs> and number one, it was so painful that I made that first plugin, which was just a, a quick 54 lines of CSS, took me one cup of coffee or less, which begs the question, what the hell is wrong with WordPress.org that if you use this plugin and you see how easy it is to now use the editor with just that little style fix, why haven't they done it? So when I submitted the plugin, it actually was surprisingly fast to get in the repository. And I only did that as a goof because I figured, why not? Well, I'm the sure the message went to Otto's desk. Otto is long gone. I will say whoever is on the theme, the plugin review theme, it was very fast. I mean, this happened when just 24, 48 hours. But here's the comment, which was interesting. They first wouldn't let me call it Fix Gutenberg Style because they said it was a copyright violation. I said, how is it a copyright violation when I'm putting a plugin for free in your repository that supplements your plugin and I'm not marketing it, but more importantly, there's 897 other Gutenberg something somethings. They said, well, you can call it whatever you want, but you know, should the block editor, you know, uh, sorry, they said, we don't call it Gutenberg around here. We call it the block editor. So I said, okay, should the block editor ever be known without Gutenberg? That's fine. For right now, can I please call it Gutenberg? And they said, yes. <laughs> Just so you know, outside of the developer world, everybody already calls it the block editor. And your fix is not a direction. Oh, no, they fucking Gutenberg. <laughs> so the point, the point of the story is, it indicated to me, first of all, it's easy to get the repository. Number two is, who cares? Because even when you get in, there's a bajillion things. But number three is, whoever's running the thing has a very high sense of self-importance about the word Gutenberg. Oh, I, would, oh, I, would, never, I would never get that so, impression from the automatic team at all. Never. Yeah, but anyway, just, just to wrap it up, because I'm too long-winded on this, what I will say is, Gutenberg mechanically does do what I needed to do to move pieces around. However, in digging into it this weekend, I discovered it's a very finicky little creature because instead of using HTML markup, it uses JSON to generate the code. And so if you have plugins that do things more than just simple markup, it throws these false errors. And I'm not saying it's broken, broken, but it's like even Justin Tadlock, who I think is on top of it, is finding it like, there's a there's a long stretch of road ahead till it's really ready for prime time versus the classic editor or well, they need good training from a data scientist, don't they? Yeah. But, no, this is yeah. it. This is this is mm -hmm. what they need. This is what they're lacking, obviously. Uh, um, so, um, Stephen, um, do you want to comment on this or don't you? 
Oh, yeah, just one quick comment. Um, the fact that they are delaying it, I think, is a good thing, right? Like the backwards compatibility is something that's really important to WordPress um, and making sure that when they push out an update, it doesn't break millions and millions of sites. Sometimes they achieve that, sometimes less than that, but that's the goal. Um, and so delaying something is why WordPress seems to move slow at times or like Gutenberg feels like they're it's taking forever to get to where we wanted to go, but it's because we're of the respect for legacy code and people that are running old systems. So it's kind of a pain point, but also a good thing we kind of see that playing out right here with the choice of delay, a pretty major feature, just because they want to get it right, make sure that it's supportable, whether you're using an older theme or a more modern theme. Right. Big Ty, you want to say something? And gosh, I've never been involved in a project where, where something turned out to be harder to do than I thought it would. Like, ever. Of course not. So true, especially when you're upgrading large portions of code base. Exactly. Big Ty, anything to say? Um, no, not really. Right. Right. We'll go like, on to the I next story. Gutenberg on and off, and I was kind of the same impression as uh, right. a lot of people in the room. All right, let's go on to the next story. Justice Department sues Google for search anti-competitive business practice. Google, anti-competitive business practices, I would never have thought it. It would never cross my mind. You know, they're, you know, they're sweetness and light. I would never mix the two ideas together. I'm going to let our guest panellist, Matthew, what did you think of this article, Matthew? You're muted, I think. Sorry about that. Uh, my keyboard was not responding to the unmute uh, for some reason. Um, mm -hmm. So when I first saw this, I was immediately reminded of um, you could have just replaced uh, Google with Microsoft here a couple decades ago, and it would have been the exact same article. Essentially, you know, a person using their operating system monopoly in order to um, promote their product or service in a way that uh, doesn't allow a, a level playing field for competition. And I, I think, you know, it'll probably play out pretty much the same way we saw that in the past. And I've always wondered if, um, you know. I, I heard uh, Microsoft still hasn't paid their fine. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I, I can't even remember exactly how that all panned out in the long run. I remember there were specific versions of Microsoft Windows that had a designation of an N afterwards that said that it didn't include uh, Internet Explorer, um, like, by default. So that the user could choose which uh, operating, or sorry, which um, uh, browser they wanted to install uh, as their kind of default browser, and we still see, you know, the the legacy of this uh, this practice yet to this day, where every time you install a browser on uh, Microsoft Windows, it still says, "Hey, Microsoft Edge is the best browser ever." Are you sure you want to change? And then things try hijacking that away, you know, the next time you put in another browser as well, too. I will yes. note that most of my other browsers also say, you know, like, <clears throat> if they're not the default browser, do you want to make us the default browser? <laughs> yeah. And I believe that this is a pretty serious issue. I mean, in, in terms of uh, competition, if you are the gatekeeper of information for the world, like, think about, like, what we determine to be true. Like, anytime you're questioning whether something is a true statement or not, the first thing you do is type it into Google. And whatever Google returns is typically what most people accept as truth. And so if you've got someone acting in that manner um, and essentially controlling the flow of information, it's really easy to distort someone's perspective of the world and maintain or you know amplify a monopoly by directing everything in favor of you. 
Yes, but my dear Matthew, didn't you watch the debate last night a little bit? Truth doesn't matter anymore. Uh, only message matters. Uh, um, yeah, so, I, uh, right. I, I, I will admit I am definitely, that's one of the biggest things, other than like, you know, global climate change, I think the post-truth era is probably one of the things that concerns me the most about the future Matthew, of humanity. That, that doesn't <laughs> exist, Matthew. Don't you realise that that's just, a, that's just a few scientists that got the wrong message? Didn't you realise that, Matthew? <laughs> Yeah. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's hard. Just, it's hard to argue with that smoke falling through the air. You know, the yeah. ash storms. Uh, unfortunately, most of the scientists uh, believe in something called confirmation bias and information bubbles. And what that shows us is that we get stuck in our own echo chambers that just feed back into one another and become further and further divorced from reality until. We're the you know crazy guy talking about whatever conspiracy theory. Well, uh, right. If it, if, it, if it doesn't match up with with what we already believe, we're not going to listen to it. Yeah. Oh, facts but don't matter. Only our beliefs. Only our. That's beliefs. the the beauty of the scientific method is that we take a default position of being skeptical of everything, including our own beliefs, so that we can try reaching some form of objective reality through the scientific method. I think we're going to bounce back because. <laughs> yesterday's debate and what's been going on to my mind's eye historically. I mean, if you reach back pre-United States history, you can see in various civilizations the degree that things bounce from the right to the left, the extreme to the not. And I think what we're going to see now is this whole drama of our politics and this COVID and everything else has led, I think, the rational people to wake up from their slumber of believing that it's a passive activity to allow governments in the world to do things for them. And especially with the younger generation coming up, I think that you needed this extremism, not that dissimilar from McCarthyism in politics here in America or fascism in the you know 30s in Europe and so forth. You needed the extremism of this like a minority. Americans, you don't, know, you don't know what you Americans, you don't know what the word extreme means. I'm not saying you no, have no, to no. live No, 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 we don't it, know what the word history you can, means. You can study history. I didn't live during Julius Caesar, but I can see what went wrong there. And these things repeat themselves in a pattern where the needle bounces. And I'm hopeful that- Look, my beloved timing... Spencer, I've been in Paris during a riot and the French know how to riot, Spencer. Yeah, I understand, but when they riot, what is the purpose of the riot? It bounces back the other way. And then you have in Paris, like their solution to riots about worker strikes is, okay, we'll hire twice as many of you, pay you all full price, but you each work half as much time. Ta-da, let's go back to eating you know, cheese. At least they solve the problem. I'm saying what we're seeing now with climate change and with the, the technology and with the privacy is the 90s led to this big boom and the financial rewards, and then you had the Bush era, and then you'd have all the corporatism that's led to the billionaires. And now those people are not dumb to realize or not realize that if they don't turn around, you hear Warren Buffett talking about this, if they don't turn around and take care of the middle a little more and like bring the planet under control, the whole sucker's burning down with them on board, right? And those that are enlightened and not silly about it realize that all the money in the world isn't going to save them from people rioting or destroying the very corporations yeah, that they've built up. Gone off topic here. What what do you think of the Google? The Google. Um, do you think they are going to break up Google? Are you asking give, me? Yes, give me one no, one sentence answer. I don't think they're going to break them up. I think they're going to hobnail them like they did in the antitrust era of the 1890s to 1920s, where, you, you know, sure, Mr. 
like billionaire of the time, you, Mr. Carnegie, you own the railroad. Guess what? You have to make it available to everybody to use. And we see that in the phone system and the airline industry. We see that in shipping. We see that in waterways. There's no way that you can allow somebody to continue to have a monopoly over the very thing that everybody uses, which is the portal for finding things on Google. They're just mm-hmm. going to treat it like a railroad. And the reason is simple, because if they don't... God help us if they treat it they, like the railroads, I mean, given the state they're in right now. I mean, yeah, right I now, think, it's yeah, right think, for abuse. Yeah, sure. John, um, I think they're going to have to do something. But I think the real key thing yep. is they're probably going to have to do something around paid search and online paid advertising. Mm. Because that's, you know, really Google has got almost total dominance of paid search. Yeah. They? So I think that's the area where and they Facebook. can reduce, where they could, you've got Facebook, Facebook as well. But yeah. I was just saying in, in, if you're searching for something. Well, right. if you're using the search engine, then you're going to use paid search. So yeah. uh, what's going on is there is the antitrust, and I'll, I'll give some backstory here. They had an antitrust in the European Union in 2018. And because of that, they now, I think it's like every quarter or like every half year or whatever, they have kind of an auction where people who have new Android phones, because Google owns Android as well, um, there's, it used to just be like, it was just Google was the search engine on Android by default. Um, But now they basically auction off like four other spots for search engines um, for new phones so that these other search engines have a chance. Um, the problem is I don't think that they'll be broken up and this antitrust lawsuit is, is not going to seek to break them up. By the way, too, Yelp also has an antitrust lawsuit against Google right now. Um, and I don't know if that's why they have favorable... Uh, search rankings. Like if you're ever doing a local search, you'll notice that Yelp is almost always near the top, but they also have an antitrust lawsuit against them. The part of the problem is, is um, it's not a utility like the internet. It's, it's a service that piggybacks off the internet. They're not, if it was like the internet itself, you would say that. But the problem is, is like if you use Bing and Google side to side, you can very clearly see that like Bing does not return uh, as good as results. No. And Google has 85% market share. Bing has like seven and like Yahoo and DuckDuckGo and Ecosia have whatever's left over. Um, the problem is, is, is these other search engines need to catch up. So I don't know if there's an easy way to regulate that, but basically, no. yeah. Well, so unless, unless you just uh, you just accept it's a monopoly and you just you make it publicly owned, isn't it? You know there are some yeah. like that. you can't build two electricity networks. You could, but it'd be a a total waste of resources. So you basically use a hybrid of a free uh, of a capitalist quasar. Um, Controlled. Yes, well, at the, I mean, at this point, we only wish uh, the government would take over PG&E, but <clears throat> yeah. and, and that's you know having not a great opinion of the government, but uh, PG&E is certainly a, a, a dumpster fire. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, what do you reckon, Vito? If they're gonna this, uh, you know, kind of break them apart over there, but uh, uh, but it's, it's definitely some something that. 
um, is a concern uh, from from each and every one of us, you know, to get to the point where they already uh, where Google is where they are right now. Um, I do agree with John though that there isn't a better option. I've been using Bing for a, for a bit before, uh, you know, just after changing the browser. So I did get out of the browser, so I'm not using Chrome anymore. Uh, but uh, but the search is still there, and I can't see that happening with the resources that they have. Uh, someone coming up and snagging this underneath them, they basically crawl the entire web inside and out. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a very hard task uh, to get around. Yes. Yeah, and mm -hmm. from a data science perspective, essentially the more data you have, the better your machine learning algorithms are at making these predictions. And first mover advantage in this kind of space is huge because Google just has you know, at least an order of magnitude more data in terms of search than every one of its competitors, if not several orders of magnitude. And to be able to catch up now, I, I don't even know if that's possible. So how would you how would you effectively put back in competition into the marketplace? Have you got any ideas, Matthew? Um, well, honestly, I haven't given it much thought. I mean, I, I think quite a bit about economics and I, I do have a, a minor in economics as well, too. So um, I do spend a lot of time thinking about these sorts of things. But we're in a landscape where there really aren't good uh, models for how to effectively create a competitive market because of the nature of these kinds of technologies. It's just it's a very different thing. Like search isn't like selling apples where you can have a substitute good that works just as well as, you know, an apple or you've got, you know, um, alternatives. Um, when you're talking about something like a, a machine learning algorithm, whoever has the most data is almost always going to rule that industry, which is why, you know, if, if I were looking at, you know, competition in the um, autonomous vehicle space, like Tesla has over 90% of all of the, uh, all of the self-driving car data right now. And that gives them a significant advantage over everyone else. And if they've got, if they leverage that advantage and eventually have first mover advantage in the fully autonomous vehicle space when it becomes commercialized, there may be no one, even Google, that could compete with them at that scale. Yeah, that's a good point. Right, yeah, good God, we're doomed. What do you reckon, Sally? Uh, well, you know, information is power. Um, and uh, Google's been at this a long time. And, uh, you know, the advertising, of course, is where the money comes from and where you can talk about, uh, uh, you know, competition. But... The advertising works in great part because the search is effective and they have all this, you know, they have all this data to cross compare. But, you know, if we look at that uh, Microsoft uh, lawsuit, it's like, well, they lost the lawsuit and yet very little actually changed. And I suspect that that may be something that that happens here. And, and you know, honestly, uh, governments and courts tend to understand so little of how any of this works uh, that they are just not very good at, at regulating it. And, and law is a much slower moving uh, entity than, than tech. So it's always a game of, of catch up to, to attempt to regulate anything. I'm not so pessimistic, actually, as you, panel. I'm sure if we got a, a group of people in MIT or something working on it, I'm sure we could jig something up that uh, w w w which would be unpleasant for Google. 
<laughs> oh, well, very, <laughs> very likely we could. But could we then, you know, explain to uh, the government, uh, like, why that would be the attack to take and how to get it in place and do all the political horse trading necessary to make it happen? Sure, you know, you could tell straight away if it was going to be effective because their share price would go down, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, it be, well, you know. It- you also have to realize that there's a potential of conflict of interest on an international scale as well, too. If you know the Department of Justice is doing its job in order to uh, make a competitive landscape in the United States, it could be decreasing Google's prominence globally. And so if you've got competitors in China like Baidu, which is their you know, equivalent search engine, uh, growing in power and leveraging economies of scale in a way that Google can no longer do, you could see Baidu take over the world as the, like, the number one search engine at Google's expense and all also at the United States is, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, their ability to, you know, leverage Google as an American corporation. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point you've made. Uh, we're going to have to leave that actual discussion some for another show because that could tick up. But you've, made, you've opened a real can there because I could put some, I think I could put a reasonable argument about what you've just said, but... We're getting close to our halfway point, folks. We're going to go for our break. We'll be back in a few moments. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WP Tonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WP Tonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white-label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. We're coming back. Our surprise guest is, I think, increased... The uh, the tone of our discussion actually, uh, um, so it's become rather intellectual, which is very unusual for the panel. They normally just come here to take the Mickey out of me. Uh, um, but before we go into a couple of the other stories, beloved listeners and viewers, I want to talk one about one of our great sponsors, and that's Groundhog. So, what is Groundhog? Groundhog is a native. CRM. It's a WordPress plugin, but much more. If you're looking to looking at marketing optimization and you're looking for a powerful but highly competitive priced product in the marketing optimization area, you should go to Groundhog because it's it is like I say. Um, it's a native WordPress plugin. It works with some of the leading other plugins on the market, like Lifter LMS, Learn Dash, and a number of others. And also, it is extremely competitive when it comes to value for money. If that sounds interesting for you or for your clients, go over to Groundhog and see what they've got to offer and tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show. On to the next story. Stripe acquires Paystack for $200 million. Uh, Who shall I choose? Let's choose Stephen. Any thoughts on this one, Stephen? I always find it interesting how payment processing softwares are so geographically localized. Mm. Like we think of like these huge monolithic companies like PayPal 
and Stripe, but you go into emerging markets and they have their own very specific sort of thing that they use. Like, and um, in Africa, um, it's, uh, I forget. Sorry, I think, oh, is he gone? Is he oh, back? sorry, sorry, I also just unmuted. Anyways, um, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But it's that, the, it's that emerging, chair. Emerging you're market. sitting in that chair. You're getting, too re- you're getting too relaxed. I have, I have. <laughs> right. Well, it's, I mean, PayPal, uh, you know, there's countries PayPal won't operate in. And I, I think part of this is that, you know, th- these markets develop <laughs> their own solutions, uh, not only, you know, specifically to match their, their own interests in economies, but because they don't have an alternative. Yeah, for sure. And Stripe just purchasing a company to get into another country is like a really, I mean, incredibly smart move. I think in the article, they talked about how they thought $200 million is like a really kind of bargain price almost. So they kind of alluded to that idea um, to take over Africa just because the rate that online payment processing is happening in <laughs> Africa right now is astronomic compared to what's going on in the rest of the world. So I love that. I love that remark you just made. Take over Africa. So you think they're they're going to become the Russell Rhodes of of Africa? You know they're going to take out. They're going to have a well. Country. You know this. They're going to have a country named after them, like Rhodesia. They're going to have Stripe Asia. Are they? You know, right? uh, uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I worry a little bit about it as an acquisition versus an investment because, um, you know, I feel kind of like. The Africans should own things that happen in Africa. And oh, never. They'll they be should, able know, they to, should know their place, shouldn't they? All oh, right. Uh, 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 and yet, you know, the investment from Stripe is going to allow them to do things uh, that they wouldn't have been able uh, to do. Uh, Go on, John. You want to yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, this is a great story. And Congratulations to the Nigerian engineering team. They got this $200 million um, buyout. So congratulations to that team. Um, this, uh, this payment processor, it's half of all the online payments in um, Nigeria. And Nigeria is the most populous country in Africa. Africa, in fact, is the second most populated continent uh, to Asia. So, and and I'm not sure if like people who listen to this are aware of this, but people um, there use online payments like at a much higher rate than they do in the United States. Like pretty much everybody has a phone and everybody uses online payments for all types of commerce. So this is a really smart investment by Stripe. Now, I want to pivot this conversation to something else, too, because there's some distressing stuff that I saw within the WordPress community as in regards to this. Now, in the comments... Sounds juicy. On you go. Okay. Well, anyway, this person person here, uh, like, said um, in the comments that they were once told when they tried to spur commercial activity of a WordPress business in sub-Saharan regions, there's no money in Africa. And... I'm here to tell you, like, there's, you know, people in Nigeria and Kenya, they could probably code circles around some of the people, like, in in the United States. They're emerging countries. They're not, you know, the technology and the the way of living is a lot different than people perceive it to be. 
Um, I also want to say too, like st- end SARS, stand with the the people who are experiencing this violence, the military going in and shooting peaceful protesters. One last thing I want to touch on too. I've seen a, a, a member of the WordPress community. They made this comment about this story. And um, it was something like, you know, oh, a Nigerian prince told him to like make this deal or something like that. Well, I've got to be honest, John. I, I was... I, I was oh, trying. I was. I was kind of making, and then I thought, "Yeah, I'm do you, you really want to? Do you really want to go down that yeah. road, Jonathan? No, you don't really." But yeah, you, I mean, yes, it's 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 a cheap and easy joke to make, and you know, those six one nine scams are a thing that <laughs> happens. Uh, you know, done often yeah, by American scammers too. Uh, yes, but you know, done by people who are you know sitting in internet cafes saying, "Man, yeah. I cannot believe how stupid these white people are." And well, let's and, go back. And, let's and, go back to what John said. What did this this um, yeah, this any, insightful any, commentator yeah. on on the WordPress tavern? Yeah, that's um, what they're saying. There's, so, there, I mean, people think that there's no money and like everybody's living in huts. And I mean, come on, dude. And the Nigerian prince and like these people don't own technology, man. Let's abandon these racist attitudes because that's what this is. The, the, the a worldwide that world, have WordPress is a world, no WordPress is a worldwide community. It's the entire world. It's not just the U.S. and Europe. It's the entire world. So we need to start acting like that, and we need to grow up. And if people make stupid comments, we need to just say, man, hey, that's a stupid comment. You're coming off like was a there bit. was there a tutorial was there a yeah. tutorial response? No, I mean I I don't know how many people are like interested in this story, but no, I'm true. saying this is a much bigger move for Stripe. Online payment is very huge. There's a huge population. There is revenue there. There people make money there. The technology is there, and that's what I'm saying. Congratulations to the team. I mean, you know, so yeah, I'll go, um, I'll yeah, go. I, people are are. Ignorant of the fact that, you know, one of the things that Nigerian culture emphasizes is uh, hustle, education, ambition. I mean, if you know any first generation or second generation Nigerian immigrants, it's like, nope, I only have two degrees. I need another one. Uh, You know, I became a a lawyer. My parents were disappointed because all of them are doctors. Uh, You know, it it is not... uh, even remotely like the the kinds of stereotypes uh, that cause um, certain people in high office to, to make excessively stupid remarks. So what do you reckon, Spencer, by the sound of what the other panel have been saying, old yeah. Stripe got a bargain? Well, I think Stripe is one of the greater success stories in the internet space, as well as in the particularly using WordPress with WooCommerce. But in my experience, the Collison brothers have built a company that is the Swiss army knife made in Ireland of uh, something that used to be very, very hard. If you start to deal with a lot of stuff in the e-commerce space, like I am trying to do, you find that the rules are different in all geographic regions. So for example, in Africa, there may be 20 different payment providers, even in certain Westernized cultures, they only allow you to use one gateway in certain parts of, you know, Western and Eastern Europe. So Stripe has been trying to expand their reach, but they're doing it in a way that I think is is corporate responsibility oriented. And so I don't see anything nefarious about them getting involved here. And although there's always the risk, I'm sure, of colonialism kind of worries, you know, they're coming in, they're going to take it over, and now everybody's going to be working for them. 
I don't see it that way. I see it more like liberating the entrepreneurs who want to live there and work there. Because when they come to me and they say, gee, I'd love to use WooCommerce. We always have to get into like three conversations. You know, who's your hosting? Who's your gateway and bank it all? And then, oh my God, do you have to deal with GDPR rules? Because that's another layer of aggravation that'll make your mind explode. And if we can all get to a level of unification on those things, I think it opens up the possibility of lots of entrepreneurial activities in Africa and sub-Saharan continent. Uh, you know, well, also South America. I had a client approach me who um, wants to do a course and get people to pay for it, but he's based in Costa Rica. And I thought, Costa Rica, that's a nice little country. They're bound to integrate no. with Stripe. Or, no, it doesn't. And, because of the bank systems there. The and bank the WooCommerce, are, you yeah. know, oh, God, the choices are horrendous. Uh, um, there we go. So, Matthew, to end this, what, what do you reckon? Uh, well, I'm mostly just reiterating things that other people have said already. Um, essentially, having tried or having worked on a global uh, software system that tried doing, you know, I, I can't mention what it was doing, but it was trying to operate in pretty much every country in the world or most of the countries in the world that grew anything. Um, there are regulations in every country and things that are just different enough that trying to build any kind of centralized global system to handle this is virtually impossible. The thinking of the like the database model, uh, the complexity grows exponentially as a function of every different country and every different set of regulations you add. So it's a very difficult problem to solve. I don't know that Stripe would have had the uh, desire to go into a place like this and try competing directly with them. So acquiring makes way more sense because they've figured it out. They've got that first mover advantage. They've essentially... Uh, you know, capture the market for uh, that area. That makes a lot of sense. The other thing uh, to keep in mind is I, I'm in the agreement that there are a lot of stereotypes and biases about Africa, especially from the Westerner mindset. And having been in Africa and worked with the software developers there, the thing that I noticed is that the if there is a stereotype to be applied, is that um, in the United States, a lot of us um, are very comfortable with our lives and kind of uh, don't have that passion or fire. But when I'm over there, they are excited about technology and how technology can be used to solve a lot of the problems that they're dealing with on a daily basis. And they've got they've got fire inside of them. They are excited about what they can do with this technology. And they're great software developers, too. So my props to the team that pulled this off. It's a ridiculous state, really, isn't it, Matthew? Because they say Africa. Do they, do they realize it's one of the biggest continents in the world? So try and throw Africa and South Africa, and then you go to this... Sahara elements, you know, yeah, Libya might be not the best place to actually visit at the present moment in Somalia, but to try and classify the whole Africa on like two or three different countries, in a way, it's mind-numbingly stupid, isn't it, Matthew? Well, unfortunately, the way our brains work is to try categorizing things into very like broad um, and cold categories. So the, the pictures that people see from movies in Africa or the commercials about starving children in Africa, they then apply to all of Africa. And it's just an unfortunate way our brains are biased towards, uh, I guess, I, I want to say it's efficient information organization. It's efficient to think that way, but it's not an accurate representation of reality. And so we develop a lot of these stereotypes and biases based on that 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 problem with information in our brain. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that a lot of Americans think if you're from England, you're intelligent. But I've I've played I've played on it quite heavily actually. It's worked quite well for me, Matthew, actually. But there we go. Well, 
and I, I, I'm not sure if I if if this is the correct uh, response, but there's something that sounds very intelligent in a British accent. And so whenever, as an American, I hear a British accent, it sounds like a professor. It sounds like someone who's highly educated. Well, you're definitely going to have to cut. You're definitely going to have to come back as a panelist. Actually, you say the right things there. <laughs> uh, Vito, do you want any, any comment? I, I want to say exactly what Matthew said. It's the accent. It's the British accent that is uh, just being drilled in exactly from the same reason that Matthew. Uh, well, uh, it probably comes back to those Hollywood that, you know, portrayals, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, that that and the Romans had the yes. British accent, you know. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> yes. I'm intended to ask Stephen a quick question. I think he's nodding off in his chair there. Actually, uh, um, but there we go. On to the next. On to the next one. Uh, um, um, biggest why combinate of failed startups. <laughs> I don't know if fan of these kind of lists, but this was in a perverted way quite interesting. Because we've got a special guest, I'm going to let Matthew start again on this one. Uh, um, what did you think of this one? Got any insights on this article? This list of the wretched, you know. Uh, so I guess I look at it from a different perspective. Like I, I kind of positively reappraise it to be a, um, essentially, a, a stories about what not to do in the startup world. Like there's a lot of lessons that we can learn about how not to execute a startup. In fact, I don't know if someone's created a book on essentially like anti-patterns for startups or um, startup smells, you know, things that are indications that there might be something wrong. But I mean, I could, you know, list off the top of my head a number of patterns I've seen time and time again at startups that either I've worked at or that I've consulted for that just repeat themselves over and over. And it's like, if people knew about these patterns, they would know to avoid them or that it's an indication that we're probably heading in the wrong direction. For example, mismatch between a technical co-founder and a business co-founder, uh, having a team that's full of ideas but no execution or a leader that's full of ideas and no execution. Uh, and other things too, like um, I've been in companies where we chased demos all the time. Essentially, we were always trying to, um, the software team was creating the features necessary to pitch the next demo rather than working on the features that would have actually provided the most value for the largest number of potential clients. Not A-B testing things, like just trusting your gut with every decision you make, rather than actually testing things to see what works better than this, and using a you know data science approach, or essentially trusting your gut rather than using a data science approach for big decisions that have a lot of data behind them that you could be using in order to make more effective decisions. So I think every time we have an opportunity to tell a story of failure about a company, shouldn't be reflected as like a negative thing. It, it, it sucks. I mean, you know, someone's lost their job over this, and you know, someone has lost a company over this. But we can look at it as an opportunity to learn how not to make the same mistakes in the future. Oh, that was well put. I'm very impressed there. Uh, Robert, you're not English either, so there we go. Uh, Vito, um, what did you... <laughs> Vito, what did you think of this article? Well, I love reading success stories, uh, but it's also interesting to read the like, failure stories for, for the same reason as Matthew was mentioning, just to learn what not to do. And uh, I always like to uh, find people that already have arrows in their back, so I don't get them. Uh, so this, these things are always great uh, resources to kind of tap into. But the point here is that it all comes down, if you read the article, um, you know, some have like weird stories, right? But mostly it all comes down to execution. If, you're, if it's not just about the idea and getting the money in the door as quickly as you can when you're a wine combinator uh, a startup, uh, but also knowing to grind, knowing to do, to, you know, to hustle and move things forward, on a daily basis in small, small intervals so that you can actually 
see it accumulating over time to build that momentum. And I think that a lot of um, a, a, a lot of the startup mentality uh, it puts uh, a lot of praise and a lot of kind of uh, uh, fame into raising money uh, instead of building a business. And, uh, and this is one of the one of those things that you can clearly see in here you know people that come off of this of these uh, programs and you know investors just see the name of the program so they assume that because the guy had school for a couple of months he can actually execute for the next 10 years uh, but that's you know not often or even rarely the case so what do you reckon Stephen I think it's interesting that Y Combinator has such a high success rate. And oftentimes that's what you hear about is the crazy successes that Y Combinator has generated and the unicorn companies that have come from them. Um, and seeing an article that talks more about their failures, I think is really interesting because I think there's a tendency for people, myself included, to blame their problems or failures of a startup on just not having enough advantages or enough connections or the right money. Um, but even with all those things, even if all the stars align and you have the best connections that you can ever have in the world and you have a company that has incubated some of the most amazing companies um, in your court, you can still fail. And sometimes those failures aren't because of a decision you made. There's external factors that happen that change a marketplace and all of a sudden what you had and where it was going just doesn't make sense anymore. Like they talked about some tariffs that got put on China, which was ended up hurting a lot. Some of the Y Combinator companies that were importing a lot of hardware parts. That's something that you don't have control over. The market changes and you have to figure out how to adjust to that. And that can be success or it can be failure. Um, and it's just a kind of cathartic at times to be able to step back and look at other people's failures where you can approach it from a more of a scientific standpoint and not an emotional driven standpoint, which helps you look at your own failures and maybe kind of reformat that in your mind and just say, you know what, there are external factors and I did try my best and I did try my hardest. And this is just where things landed or next time, you know, I can do these things different and like kind of look at the lessons learned. In a way, it's kind of linked to the, a previous story we were discussing the first half, wasn't it? You know, and uh, Matthew was making the point where greed is... Now, I was making the observation, we have opinions, but there are facts. When the facts don't meet our opinions, you should change your opinions. But there's a lot of people out there that just change just change the facts because then it then fits their opinions. They do the opposite, don't they? So what do you reckon, Spencer? Sorry, Matthew, go on. I was going to say, I think one of the biggest fundamental changes in the business world in the last couple of decades is the application of like the scientific method to decision-making processes. Now, there have always been companies that have done this in the past, but it's kind of gone mainstream now. And I think the reason for this is that the landscape of the business world has fundamentally changed in the past few decades to the point where human beings are not able to learn fast enough through traditional methods, then technology markets and consumer preferences are changing. And so in order to stay ahead of that curve and to adapt to markets quicker than they're changing, you have to use a much more powerful set of tools, which is data science, uh, you know, the scientific method, and apply that to traditional business, which fundamentally changes what traditional business used to be because those rules no longer apply in this new world. Yeah, I also, got, I, also I, I, I do this myself when, uh, um, when I'm, you know, a startup comes on my radar and, and it's around data mining and 
they, they, they start throwing in the, um, the, the key words and the key phrases that are hot at the present moment. I always look at the starter's background and their advisory panel, and if there's no scientists in the panel and there's those, if they're trying to sell data mining or big data or artificial intelligence and there's nobody, there's nobody in the bloody company or the, that's ever known anything about it, I start to get a little bit worried about it. Um, Spencer, what, to finish off, what do you reckon about this article? I mean, just the, the VC world is like, Vegas or what Vegas used to be the whole game is basically a lot of people put a lot of money on a lot of bets and only a fraction of them ever win done that's the whole point if everybody won then we be in a different world than we're in now but it doesn't work that way so this is no surprise I think the difference that we're experiencing right now relates to the earlier topic I was alluding to about the fairness of a, a monopoly existing in something like the pinch point of search <clears throat> at a certain point if let's say Elon Musk, who I do admire, and he puts the Starlink up. Now, I believe he has more altruistic behaviors because he, for example, is getting Wall Street to pay the big bucks to get a microsecond faster transaction speed. But in return, he's giving allegedly internet to everybody and probably wrapping these things around Mars and the moon as well. That's an interesting, great behavior to have happen. Whereas with Google, they took what started out to be do no harm and they turned it into ha 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 ha, we own all the railroads, go, go F yourself. And that's where I think we have to intercede here because all the money now being in the hands of a 1% means no company, no company could ever hope to win except by banking extraordinary long shot bets because you cannot overcome a pinch point like that with you know, locker money. You have to have literally the impediment removed to go forward. And that's what we're looking at right now with a lot of these companies were just, hey, tons of people with lots of money got to throw at it. But the important stuff for society is when we shift to, again, equality or somewhat close to equality about everybody being on the same services around the world. When we talk about, let's say, energy being if not free, being good for the environment type of energy sources. When we talk about infrastructure in general being assumed, when we talk about education and healthcare, like these four or five pillars could be done yesterday if the billionaires would be given an incentive to spend the money that they have on it because they're all going to die with their money and they know about it. But there's no government in place that is working in concert to make it happen. And that's the world that I see, hopefully, for myself and my kids is that the money draws the interest into, oh, we can make money and do good things for other people that aren't us. But right now, the majority are not running the show. The minority are running the show. Yeah, there we go. God, I think, I think I'm having an effect on old oh, Spencer. He's, become a bit of a, he's becoming a bit of a socialist. There, um, there we go. Uh, um, there we go. So um, I think we ditched the other, because we don't want this being worn piece, and Matthew's got to go and start a new company and uh, advise one. So uh, um, so uh, I'm sorry, as a guest panellist, you get slaughtered with the puns, I'm, I'm afraid, Matthew. Heather, no problem. I have Heather a lot of Heather didn't I tell you that. It. Heather didn't tell you that, did she? I, I know how it, I, I've known Heather for quite a long time. I know how she operates, actually. Uh, um, so, the, <laughs> so on to the 
pan- panel's recommendations. My one is a is a WordPress plugin called Admin Twenty Twenty. Um, it's they're they're basically really trying to move the WordPress desktop and some key functionality into the modern age. It's got some bits of it that aren't um, that are a bit niggly, but um, it's really a great attempt to move um, the back end of WordPress, like I say, to a level where it should be. And it's a bit of an eye-opener. So um, it'll be in the show notes, listeners and viewers, and um, go and have a look at it, try it out. And um, I gave it a play. And like I say, it's got some rough edges, but uh, um, I think you'll be impressed. So, Sally, got anything for the listeners and viewers? Well, I will say I did just have a very positive experience with uh, importing Eventbrite events uh, via the uh, event aggregator uh, extension for uh, Modern Tribe's event calendar, Um, uh, (coughs) working with a a company that's current system for events is a bunch of custom-built stuff that... is, you know, there's all these ACF fields that they never actually use and 90% of their events are on Eventbrite. And I said, why don't we like make your lives easier and and so that you can just like enter the events in Eventbrite and pull them into WordPress or vice versa and not like have to keep reduplicating your efforts. Uh, And it's working and they're happy. So uh, that's a win. Um, And uh, generally I'm uh, pretty positive on Modern Tribes products. Uh, although there are some quirks in them that are occasionally annoying. That's very, I would agree with you. But I do mostly agree with you, don't I, Sammy? Oh, now and again. Yeah. Do put all your recommendations in the chat, please, panel. It does help. Uh, Vito, you got anything that you want to recommend or plug? Yes, I recommend uh, GoWP that just launched a new service called Dedicated Developer. And, uh, you know, this has been a process, uh, you know, this has been as kind of a need that uh, uh, small uh, freelancers and the small agencies have been looking for for a long time. A lot of us have been resorting to uh, finding people on Upwork or, uh, you know, try to hire from uh, from offshore kind of agencies. But uh, we, we all know that sometimes this uh, can easily go sideways. Uh, so uh, they do this for you. And you're paying pretty much the same amount as you would pay uh, hiring someone over, like, uh, offshore. Uh, Only that they manage them, they train them, they make sure there are systems, there are time tracking, there are all the things that go wrong, usually in these relationships. So uh, check out GoWP with their dedicated developer service. There we go. Spencer, got anything you want to plug or recommend to the listeners and viewers? Right. Governor. Governor. I've been told if I speak like this, I'm more intelligent sounding. Um, yeah. uh, I, I've got the free plugin now in the repository, a shameless plug for a free plugin called Slash Star Star until it's renamed. Um, or, or you can just go to uh, wordpress.org slash plugin slash fix dash Gutenberg dash style uh, and give it a try with your Gutenberg needs. Also, I want to make a pitch that I will pay for it if Sally will get the dog 
whose picture I posted from that article because you know how they say people and pets look like each other and she's got her cats. If she had a dog, this is the dog because it is essentially the cutest little dog and it has the same hairstyle and glasses as Sally as if it was planned. Just go look at that dog and tell me you don't go. It, it, it's an adorable picture. I think it might be a fox. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh, I'm intrigued. I'm going to, I'm sure Spencer and, Anyway, yes, it, it is, it is and adorable and the girls would never tolerate it. Yeah, it's right there. You click this, that this, this going wake Stephen up again. Stephen, uh, have you uh, <laughs> have you got something you want to recommend? Uh, and for speaking, this? Of th- speaking of things you're paying for, Spencer, did you in fact get that helmet? Uh... Oh yeah, did you no, get that? Yeah, no, when are you going to see it? Uh, I, I want to. I, I haven't gotten it yet, but what I will say is that my son and I have been 3D printing custom masks. So in the meantime. Uh, We've been busy, but I am going to order that. The thing that I think happened is that it's not actually released yet. They kept saying it was going to be released, but I definitely would like to get it. So so, so you're saying it's on the same schedule as block-based widgets? I think it's like one of those things that you would be waiting until, what was it, until you drove to Cleveland and back or something. Yeah, right, so yes. Let's get Stephen on because Stephen so you know. needs a nap after this. So Stephen, uh, good if you want to recommend the listeners and viewers. Uh, yeah, uh, ACF um, forms, elementary forms, um, ACF front end forms, that's what it's called. Uh, they just released their payment module, um, which is pretty cool. That's something they've been talking about for a while now. Um, so it allows you to hook payment. So when somebody would submit a post, that they have to pay an X dollar amount to submit that post to your site. So, like if you're doing some sort of of um, classified ad sort of thing or development support sort of thing. And it's your form. To submit a form, you have to pay a dollar amount. Kind of a cool integration. Uh, they just released that this week. So we're going to mm. give them a shout out. I know we talked about them before, but it's kind of a big, big feature. Yeah, it's great. Matthew, I, I, you probably weren't told that you were supposed to be. Uh, is there anything, any company service or anything on your radar you want to plug to the list? The problem is... I have too many. So I I don't know if you know my backstory, but I had built my own custom websites from scratch for years. And then just uh, when I first talked to you a couple of years ago was when I was switching to WordPress myself. And I've I've learned so much in like since we last talked. Yeah, about you, speed you, I understand, you, but somebody of your intellect, you've wasted, you've <laughs> wasted dr- your life. You've Kool-Aid. wasted your life, Matthew, on WordPress. I so, don't know. It's only for the for how, to, how shall I put it? The normal WordPress developer community—they are interesting people. But there we go. There, sorry, Matthew. Sorry, I interrupted on on you. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Ultimately, what I was going to say, if there's anyone out there yet that, and I assume most of your audience is already using WordPress and probably many are experts, but if there's anyone out there that is still on the fence about whether they should switch over to WordPress um, after having done this now for, I think, two years on WordPress versus having my own custom sites, uh, switch to WordPress. It, oh, my God, it's so much easier. It's so well, much I less say, it's he's, so much he's definitely saying the right things, panel. He said nice things about it's, it. And we it's, didn't it's, even pay him no, for he's it. he said nice things about <laughs> WordPress. What more can you? Well, um, I think the selling point for me was then I realized that something like a third of the all websites on the Internet are WordPress. It's like, okay, yeah, there's clearly a, a reason that everyone's not just building their own custom websites, you know, for everything. My friend John, got anything you want to plug um, to the listeners and viewers, John? Yeah. Um, this YouTube channel, it's by Barry Schwartz. He runs SEO Roundtable. Um, 
search rusty brick. Anyway, he's been doing interviews, socially distanced with uh, different people in the SEO realm. And it's very insightful, very interesting. Nice change. Okay, have a look at that. That that should be fun. Put the links into chat. That's great. Right, thank you so much, panels. I think it's been an excellent show. Matthew has really pushed the standard up higher. You know, this, this is what you want from a special guest that came on. A, he must be he must be given full marks because he came here. He came on at the last minute. He's uh, he's very intelligent and lovely. Allah half Heather was supposed to come on the show, but she hopefully will be joining us um, next week. So you have a friend, Sally, another female. Uh, it it uh, will be nice. Do make sure you turn up if you can, Sally, because, you know, every time I get another woman, you normally don't turn up. So, uh, Well, I can, I, I can never plan uh, uh, oh, no. regarding the migraines, but uh, oh, I don't God. have any place else that I am needed to be. We'll see you next week, listeners and viewers, for another roundtable show. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.